when I started the series on Revelation, I told you that this book was uh, not one genre, but three. It's epistle, it's apocalyptic, and it's prophecy. That makes it a lot of fun to try to figure out exactly what's going on. The first three chapters really show the epistle form very well. Beginning in chapter 4, you see the apocalyptic and all throughout these aspects of prophetic just just coming to play. And it's almost like a good spaghetti. Um, the flavors, you don't taste them all at once. Um, you, you When you first take a bite, you taste some of the flavor and then other flavors kind of come to you. You realize, you know, some of the other things you're tasting. And then even after you've taken the bite and you've swallowed uh, that delicious goodness that is spaghetti, there's a taste that sometimes will hit you a little bit later, like a couple of seconds after you've swallowed. Suddenly, you'll get a whole new set of flavors. That's kind of what this book is doing. It's these different times, these different flavors are coming to the fore. And tonight, as he ends the book of Revelation, it's almost an abrupt stop on the prophecy. There's a little bit left. And the apocalyptic, there's none left of that. And he goes right back to the epistle form that he started the book with. And so you get that last bit of flavor after you've swallowed the last bites of the new heaven and new earth and new Jerusalem, the tree of life, which blooms and which carries its fruit, every different fruit every month of the year. And then in verse 6, it's almost as if the visions have completely stopped and all that's left is the aftertaste. So what's the aftertaste from this book? What do we see at the end of Revelation? How, what flavors are still left on your palate after you've digested all of the writings of this book? Well, there's a couple of flavors I want to bring to your attention. Let's read it first, shall we? Revelation 22, verses 6 to 21. Let's read the, the rest of the book. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. This is the angel that's showing him the river of life and showing him the tree of life. This same angel said, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. 
And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of the of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. There's a few flavors that you hear. First of all, there's a couple of different speakers going on. You've got a couple of things that John says and some things that the angel says and some things that Jesus says. And so part of the flavors are the different ingredients, if you will, of this last little bit of this book. You got some peppers in there that are adding that heat. You've got some herbs and spices that are giving it a bit of a sweet, partially bitter, sour, all those kinds of those kinds of flavors melding together. And then you've got the pasta. Jesus Christ himself. The whole reason for the dish in the first place. And these, these different speakers with the things that they're saying, bouncing off of one another, putting together the flavor in this epilogue. All right, so what are the flavors? Well, we have the words of the angel. Let's take a look at those first. Verse 6, these words are trustworthy. And true. Now, this isn't the first time those two words have been put together. We've heard that time and time again in, in throughout the Scriptures. We've heard prophets talk about the trustworthy and true words of God. We've heard Jesus being called the one who is called faithful and true. Right? And so these words, just as, just as though he is saying, now everything I've told you, everything that all of the angels and, and that everything that you've seen, all of what you have seen is trustworthy. All of it is true. We're living in a world where nothing is trustworthy and people don't even know what truth is. Boy, do we need words that are trustworthy and true. And the angel says, I'm giving you words you can count on, words you can build your life on. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. You can count on these things being true. This is what's going to happen. You may not understand it. You may not know exactly how what you're seeing works out in real life. You may not understand all of the vision. That's okay. Just know that it's true. And just know that it's going to happen. Just as, just as John is made assured that his vision will come to pass because of God being the one who's giving him the vision, so we can be sure that this vision will come to pass because it is God who has recorded the words for us, who has preserved the words for us, who has brought us to a place to know what he has said. These words are trustworthy and true. It's not the only thing the angel says. John goes to bow down before the angel and the angel says, stop, (laughs) not me. That's not, no, no, I'm just a servant. Verses eight and nine. I, John, and the one who heard and saw these things, when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Not only are the words that the angel are giving trustworthy and true, words that we can count on because they come from God, 
Let's not get the messenger too exalted either. Let's make sure we know where this message comes from. And let's give our praise to the correct one. You know, sometimes it's easy for us. We look at a great message and we think, what a great messenger. We hear, we hear a politician say something and it sounds so right. And we think, man, that guy, he's, he's terrific. We don't think that for very long, often do we? Because oftentimes they turn right around and say the exact opposite thing to another group. Or they promise and promise and promise and get in office and don't do what they promise. And we quickly learn that the messenger may have been a good talker, but had no, no, no desire to walk that walk that he was talking. Sometimes we have to remember that it's not about the messenger so much as who sent the messenger. And then the angel says this, don't seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. If these are trustworthy and true words, if these are words that have come from God himself through me to you, don't, don't you shut these up. God has never spoken a word to an individual for that individual to keep his mouth shut and not tell it to somebody else. Now, sometimes God will tell you, not yet. Sometimes God will tell, Jesus will tell a guy that he's healed from, from demons and say, say, don't tell anybody, not yet. He tells Mary in Cana, it's not my time. Mary doesn't listen. She says, just do what he says anyway. He tells a, a, a guy that was paralyzed, or excuse me, a guy that had leprosy. He heals this guy of leprosy and he says, now don't tell anyone, just go show the priest. What does that guy do? <laughs> he tells everybody. <laughs> God has never given us a word without an intending to go to somebody else eventually. He doesn't give us this word for it to stick around in our heads and float around up there and never be mentioned, never be talked about, never be explained, never be detailed to someone else. God's given us his words to proclaim. He gives them to John to proclaim. In his case, to write them down. So that 2,000 years after he writes them down, people can still read them. People can still know the trustworthy and true words of this book. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. I thought, well, why are you telling evildoers to be evil? And I thought, well, maybe you're not. Maybe you're just saying they're going to do evil anyway. But it's kind of the same thing that Isaiah does. God tells Isaiah, pray that their ears be stopped up so that they won't hear. Pray that, pray that their eyes will be shut so they don't see. Now, why would God tell his prophet to pray for his audience to have shut ears and shut eyes? I mean, wouldn't you want to be praying the opposite thing if you were a prophet? Wouldn't you want people to listen to you and heed the warnings? But something interesting is happening here. These people have chosen to harden their hearts. God says, fine, harden your heart. These people have chosen to be evil in spite of the warnings. In spite of the clear prophecy, in spite of the trustworthy and true words of this book, fine. Be that way. It's your call. Let them. You still need to write the words, though. You still need to declare the prophecy. However they receive it is up to them. How, whatever, whatever happens with them happens with them. But you are still called to be faithful, to proclaim the words of God. Now, sometimes we don't, we don't like that because sometimes that means we got to be the bad guy. Sometimes that means that we got to say things that people don't want to hear. Sometimes it means we got to get in people's faces and say, you're wrong. What you're doing is wrong. Stop. That's not easy. Sometimes it's easier than others, right? But if, if we're in the right attitude before God, it's not easy. But that's the calling of a man of God and a woman of God 
to proclaim God's word, even to those who are evil, filthy. Another aspect of this we'll talk about in just a second is if if we understand Christ's coming as imminent, one of the things that means is that by the time they see him coming, it's too late. You can't change. It's too late to change it. It's all over. Because by the time he comes, that's it. In hockey, it does not matter how many times the puck goes in the goal. If the buzzer has already blown, time's out. In football, it does not matter how many snaps of the ball you put after the clock runs out. When the clock runs out, it's out. In life, it doesn't matter how many times you say, I'm sorry, after Jesus has come, it's too late. Another person we hear from is John. We've already talked about one of those things where he says that he's the one who heard and saw these things. And when he heard and saw them, he goes to bow down and worship the angel that's telling him and the angel rebukes him for that. We have the testimony of someone who has seen these things for himself, who has heard these things for himself and is charged with writing these things down. We can kind of identify with that. How many of you have seen Christ work in your life? This is where every hand should be going up, right? It's okay. Then what should we do? Testify. John also says something else a little later. Down in verse 18, he says, I've seen this, I've heard it. Don't add to it or take away from it. Verse 18, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. Do you know what John is saying here? What John is saying is, look, I've seen it. This is everything. You don't need anything else. And don't you dare take anything away because this isn't my vision. Sure, I'm the one who saw it, but it's not my vision. It's his vision that he let me see. It's, It's his plan that I'm writing here. So you have no authority. I have no authority to add or take away. I have no authority to skip parts I don't like, to pull little bits out here and there and piece them together and say, that's all that you need to know. No, if God wanted you to know it, he'd have written it down. Oh, look, he wrote it down. (laughs) That also means I can't add to it either. I can't put in whatever I want to be in there. Even if, even if I'm good intentioned, even if I'm trying to help you learn the lessons, if I'm not preaching what's in here and instead I'm adding in whatever I want to be there, I'm going to tell you something. I'm failing I'm failing as a pastor, as a preacher. If I do not let this book stand on its own, yes, sometimes we need help understanding it. Yes, sometimes we need help knowing how it applies to our lives. That's where I come in. But I can't add to the words of the Scripture. I can't take my preferences and elevate them to the level of divine authority. This word was not written by me. It was written by Him. I have to stand under it. And so do you. That means you can't just say, well, God helps those who help themselves. Spare the rod, spoil the child. That's not in there. He that spares the rod hates his son. Proverbs thirteen twenty four. I think that's a stronger one. I, I don't know. <laughs> I think that says it a lot better than spare the rod, spoil the child, don't you? God helps those who help themselves. No, no, <laughs> no. Yes, we have to be obedient to God. But God isn't waiting for you to help yourself. 
And then he's going to get you over the finish line. Like, like you're going to run the first 25 and a half miles of the marathon. He's going to get you the last little bit. That's not how this works. You see, it's so easy for us to take what we want and put it in the place of what God has said. We got to be careful about that, church. I think this is not only a word about the book of Revelation. I think it's a word about the entire book of Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation is all covered in this. And I think he's doing that on purpose. There's a reason this book is last, right? It's the last things. But there's a reason this is at the end of this last book. Because he is encapsulating the whole of Scripture and now saying, now it's in your hands. Deal with it rightly. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Live by it. Let God lead you according to His Word. It's the, it's the problem that men consistently have throughout the ages. We want to tell God how it's supposed to be done. Well, the day that I become God, I'll have the authority to do that. Unfortunately, I'm not becoming God. We have to stand under this Word and let it guide us, not the other way around. That is not to say that we shouldn't try to translate it. Some people have used this as a, as a way of saying, well, well, we just shouldn't do other translations, right? If it ain't, if it ain't a certain version, I won't say it out loud. You know which one I'm talking about. If it ain't a certain version, it ain't Bible. Funny thing is, I've never met someone using the original of that version. They're always using a revised edition. <laughs> have you ever read, have you ever read the 1611 King James? I'm talking about the act, the, the way that it's written and everything. Words are spelled in crazy ways because they didn't do words the same way we do words now. Every church that says 1611 King James, every single one of them, nobody is ever using a 1611. It's always the 1769 or the 1901 revision or something else, right? It's never that original. There's a reason for that. They have some letters we don't even have. Really, look it up online. You can find copies of manuscripts online and you can actually read pages printed out from original editions and you'll get lost you won't be able to read it this isn't to say we shouldn't translate scriptures some people have used this to even say you can't translate the scripture into any other language you just have to learn latin i don't know why latin because it wasn't written in latin it was written in greek and hebrew but that's the argument the argument is you have to use this one particular one or you're going to fall under the condemnation that John gives here. That's not what John is saying. Just follow the book. I, I promise you we're not going to get to heaven and St. Peter say, all right, give me your best Latin. Hopefully you know some pig Latin. Maybe that'll pass. He's not going to do that. What'd you do with Jesus? That, that's, that's what it's going to boil down to. The translation thing, I would encourage you I would encourage you to read multiple translations. If for nothing else, just to get the range of possibilities in your head. If you want to learn Greek or Hebrew, go for it. Go for it. I'm a little bit better at Greek than Hebrew, but even I'm real, real sketchy on it. So I do my best. I read, I read experts so that I can bridge that gap a little bit. I'm constantly trying to do better, but the fact still remains. You read God's word. Whatever language you can understand it in, he'll apply it to your heart. And that's what we're looking for here. John's not the only speaker. I know that was a tangent. I'm sorry. I don't really do soapboxes like that, but there, there's a soapbox for you. Um, and that's not even a, a really big yelly soapbox, like a, you know, 
like spitting on the first few rows. It's not even that. There's another speaker, and it's Jesus. And it's hard to keep up with when, when these speakers change sometimes. But Jesus, it's a little easier because every time he speaks, he says the same words. Well, here, see if you can catch them. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. You know, it's a pattern. What do you think Jesus is trying to tell us? Come on. Give it to me. This is the interactive portion. What's Jesus telling us? Be ready. Why? No, we, no, we do know. Soon. Did you not hear that? Behold, I'm coming soon. Behold, I'm coming soon. Surely I'm coming soon. It's soon. Now, soon, the, the word here can mean in a very short amount of time, or it can mean that it'll happen really fast when it happens. I don't call 1900 years a short amount of time. Okay, But then again, I'm not God. So I don't have the all of eternity. So from God's perspective, it is soon. In fact, I think what he's telling us isn't so much about the day and the time, so much as it is about the expediency of it. In other words, when he says, I'm coming soon, what he's saying is, I'm not coming late, and I'm not coming early. I'm coming right on time. And when I come, I'm there. Don't, you, don't, don't, don't worry about looking for me f- coming from a distance and it's going to take me a while to get there. I'm not like walking down the road where you're going to see me way far off and know I'm coming and hurry up and clean up, you know, before I get to the house. It's not I'm going to call ahead a few hours and let you know I'm on the way so you can start up dinner. It, it's, 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 no, it's just I'm coming and when I come, ready or not, here I come. Behold, I'm coming soon. What that means is that we need to be ready. I'm coming soon. He, interestingly enough, he also gives some uh, benedictions in here. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life. In other words, I'm coming quickly. Here's how to get ready. Keep these words. Wash your robes. Sanctify yourselves is how the Old Testament would often put this. Before battle or before a big day, before God was supposed to come into the camp, before when the Israelites got to Mount Sinai, before Moses went up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, God commanded the people of Israel to consecrate themselves. Standing on the outer banks of the Jordan River, about ready to cross in before they began their conquest of the Holy Land. God told the Israelites, consecrate yourselves. When God is about to do something, He tells His people, get ready. Get yourself ready. Clean up. This doesn't mean just pour holy water on you, say a few prayers. No, no, get get your heart right. You need to be ready for what's about to happen. Because I'm about to be in your midst. I'm about to be among you. And if I'm going to be among you, you better be clean. You better be right. Does this sound like... Look at this book. Does this sound like a God who plays around with sin? 
No, get ready. Keep these words. Clean your robes. I'm coming. There's one more speaker. Actually, there's a couple more speakers. Verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Here we have God's spirit and the bride of Christ, both giving the same message. Come, one more speaker. I'd forgotten the spirit and the bride earlier. So, one more speaker. It goes back to John, but I don't think it's just John. I think John is speaking for all of us. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. John says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Hurry. You ever felt that way? Sometimes I felt the opposite way. Hold on, Lord. (laughs) Hang, Hang on a few minutes. Church, we are to be ready for God's return. We're to be ready because we're consecrated, we're made right with God, and we are anticipating his return. We're to be ready because we are struggling and fighting for his kingdom, and we know that when he comes back, he fulfills the work that's been done, and he makes it right again. We're to be ready because we see suffering all around us, and we're desperate for God to end the suffering. We're to be ready because of many different things. But until he comes, I think we really need to be not only ready for him to come back, I think we need to be urgent. See, because there are a lot of people who aren't ready and who can't be ready. There are a lot of people that if, if, if all of this were to begin happening today, we would find them with a mark worshiping a beast. If all of this were to happen today, we would find them falling away. We would find them giving themselves, devoting themselves to false gods. How do I know that? Because they already are. There's a lot of people out here today in, in our community. Even go down the street, you'll find some. I guarantee you. Walk down any, pick a street. Pick a street. You walk down any street. And I guarantee you, you will find people that are not ready for Christ to return. They're just not ready. They bought into the lies. They've been deceived. They, they, they have tried religion and it didn't work for them. You know, those kinds of excuses. And they're not ready. And we are to be ready, but we're also to be working to make sure as many of them can be ready too as possible. Not everybody will. You might think most people won't except Jesus. I don't know. God doesn't say the odds of being a Christian are not in the Bible. I'm glad he doesn't. Um, Don't you think that would stifle our mission if we knew that it was only going to be 20% or 2% or two hundredths of a percent? Man, wouldn't that be a downer? Instead, he just says, go proclaim my word. Help them be ready. Because you're not really ready for Christ to return until you're helping others get ready. Otherwise, it's just... A vacuum attachment. Let's go back to the food analogy that I started with. If you're ready for Christ to return, the whole house ought to be smelling of the flavors of Jesus. You see, there's a point where the spaghetti ain't ready. Oh, you may have pre-cooked the meat, and everything may be in the crock pot warm, and that's how we do spaghetti. We do it in the crock pot, so those flavors really get together good. You may have put it all in there, and it may be starting to get warm, but it's not ready yet. But when you walk in in the afternoon, and as soon as you open the door, 
your stomach starts growling because of the smell that just <laughs> overwhelms you. That's probably my actual face when I smell that smell. Oh, yes. When it's ready, you know it. And so does everybody else. If you aren't helping people get ready, then you're undercooked. You're not ready. That's not to say that I just accepted Jesus. Okay, fine. I'll I'll give you a few minutes. (laughs) But it's time to get to work. And that's not to say everybody will do the same thing. It's not to say you have to get a thousand people saved before before you can really say you're ready. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, though, is if you're really ready for Christ to come back, you will be doing His work. It's funny, in Revelation, you can always tell the people who are following Jesus because they're actively following Jesus. I, I, I find it hard to look in the Scripture and find someone who followed Jesus that was still alive. Now, I find a lot of people who were walking behind Jesus who were still alive. I find a lot of people who were going in kind of good ways that were still alive in the past, and then, then they kind of left it and they went bad. I also see some people that were really bad but turned things around while they were still alive. But I tell you what I haven't seen. I haven't seen... A single person who was truly a follower of Jesus who stopped before death. Never seen it. It's not a retirement thing. You don't, you don't give your dues and then sit back and relax the rest of your life. If you're really ready for Jesus to come, you'll be helping others get ready too. I guess what I'm really trying to show you here is that like a good spaghetti... All of these flavors boil down to one essential truth. All of these things, they're different flavors, they're different subtleties, there's all kinds of different different tastes and, and textures and all of that, but it's all one meal. And that meal is that we are to follow Christ every moment of every day of our lives with everything in us, every bit of our heart, every bit of our soul, every bit of our mind, every bit of our strength. Because if we cannot love God with everything that we are, we do not love Him at all. And so when Jesus says, I am coming soon, take Him at His word and live like it. Not scared out of your mind at the next thing that's on the news. That's not being ready for Him. Not completely ignorant to the plight of fellow men. That's not following Him either. Be ready. Help others get ready. Keep the words of this book. Wash your robes. Jesus is coming again. Father, I don't know when. You you do. Um, I don't need to know when. All I do know is that it's happening. And I believe your word when it says that I'm coming soon. I, be, I believe that. I don't know how soon. I, you're God. You, you determine what soon means. But I do know this. You've called me to be ready. And you've called all of us to be ready. You've called all of us to consecrate ourselves, to prepare ourselves for your return. You've called all of us to be doing your work, keeping the words of this book, not just, not just revelation, but the entire thing. Father, you've called us to a life that is devoted to you, to love you with every aspect of who we are. So Lord, we want to do that. We need your help though. I, I can't. I can't follow you without your strength. I, I can't follow you without your wisdom. I can't follow you without your words guiding me, shaping me, convicting me, building me. God, lead us. 
Help us be ready for your son's return. and Help us make sure that those we know are ready too. Father, we praise you for your wonderful gift. Shape us by it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.